Well, hey there. Thanks so much for joining us on the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If these messages have blessed your life, go ahead and subscribe by clicking the subscribe button inside the podcast app. And if your life has been impacted by this ministry, would you consider supporting it financially so that we can continue to love God, love people, and prove it? You can give by visiting hope615.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you are blessed through today's message. Well, come on. If you're glad to be at Hope today, let me hear you say, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. All right, if you're just here and you're not really feeling it and you're still kind of sleepy and don't know what to think about it, say, that's me. Shouldn't have admitted it. I'm preaching to you today. I'm preaching to you. Uh, well, listen, Monica was right. This is going to be the last series in our uh, series called On What We've Been Doing If You've Missed Out the Last Several Weeks. We've just been taking time, and all we've done has been walking through the book of 1 Peter. Now, because of the way summer is timed out and because of the series we've got to get on to next, uh, I just need to let you know that we are not able to finish a last little section of 1 Peter in this series. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If you have never read this on your own, if you've not spent time reading the book of 1 Peter on your own because we're not going to be able to finish it out completely and entirely, I'm asking you that when you get home and when you get into your routine that you would take time to open up the book of 1 Peter Peter, finish it out strong, read some commentary, study the scriptures, because I promise you it is a book that you're going to want to complete, even though we're going to be unable to complete it all today. And so I'm glad to be here. Those of you I've never met before, my name is Jared. I am the son of our pastor, and so I'm glad to preach with you today. I'm also the student pastor of the church and lead with our teenagers on Wednesday nights, and so I'm thrilled just to be hanging out with adults, those of you who are in the room. And if you think you can keep up today, say, I can keep up. All right. Good. Well, let's go ahead and read today's text, and then we'll pray together. Today, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Read along with me if you've got a Bible. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good de- will see good days and must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we are reading your word, we know that you promised us that your word would never come back void. That God, when we look at what you have to say to your people, that there is always something useful and helpful for us. That we would become your church. That we would always be becoming into your image. That we would be representatives of the gospel. That we would look more and more like your son Jesus every day. So Father, as we look at your word, will we take a little bit of time this morning to sit aside our own plans and just to take in yours. Father, we're going to need your help to do that. So we trust you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. This morning, I wish we had time to break down all of that, 8 through 12. This morning, we're only going to break down two verses, and so hopefully we're going to get you out of here to see Tiger Woods play uh, in just a little bit. But we are going to break down two verses this morning verses 8 and verses 9. And so let's just take a moment again. I want to give you point number one before we jump into it. Point number one I'm giving to you today is this. Peter is talking to me. And so I want us all to say this together. It's point number one. On the count of three, say it with me. One, two, three. Peter is talking 
to me. That's right, he's talking to you. I thought about writing this morning, the point would be Peter's talking to you. But so many times when we look at these points and write them in our notes, we, we write the word you, and we're just gonna pretend in our heads that it's actually somebody else. Like, oh, well, he said you, what he meant was my wife. <laughs> when he said you, he meant somebody else. Just, just to point out this, how many of you grew up with siblings? If you did, say, I got them. Cool. I, I had three little sisters, which is really neat. Um, because it's a bunch of girls, and it was never any drama. It was totally free. It was great. And so, but growing up, occasionally me and my three little sisters, we would fight, and, and it would just happen, and sometimes it would get pretty heated. And so, the, like, the best thing ever, like, anybody in the room just love justice, like, oh, yeah, you know, came to get them. Yeah, so the best thing ever was when you're, like, fighting with your sibling, and your parent walks in, you're like, oh, they're about to get it. They're, they, they're going to get in trouble, Right? So the mom will walk in the room, you've been fighting, they're like, I can't believe you. I'm so ashamed of this. You, you, I raised you better than this. I can't, you, you were so grounded. And then you're like, ha you're getting it. And they're like, I'm talking to you. They're like, whoa. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It was, and then your, your, your siblings over there are like, uh-huh, yeah, that's you they're getting, not me, I'm good. This morning, I want to make something clear. It's kind of like that moment when you realize your parents are supposed to be getting the other sibling in trouble, but they're like, no, you're the one in trouble. We're reading Peter, and you just got to hear me. He's talking to you. And if we can roll with this today, I think we'll actually grow from it. If we can understand this morning that the person that this is being written to is not somebody else in the room whose life is a little bit more different than mine or whose life is falling apart differently than mine, the, the letter that we're reading, the thing we're about to go through, he is actually talking to you. So hear me this morning, as I preach through this message, my desire is that you will listen to this and not compare it to what you hope the global church will be. Take this message and hope it's just a good word that your wife or your husband hears or your kids. You're not going to sit here this morning and hope, man, this is a really good word for me to share on Facebook for that one person because they really need it. Hear me out. All I want you to focus on today and all I want us to think about today is what does this mean for you? If the very least you do walking out of this today is that you process this for yourself and only worry about how to apply it to yourself, I think we're going to be okay, that we're not going to spend time reading the Bible thinking it's for somebody else. Well, how do I know this text is for you? Well, if you go back to verses 8 and 9, the two we're going to break down today, he starts off very clearly, finally, all of you, it's right there, finally, all of you. And if you've been with us, Peter's already talked to a lot of folks. He spoke to those of us who are citizens of nations, those of us who are citizens of heaven. He's spoken to servants and how they ought to act. He's spoken to husbands and how they ought to act. He's spoken to wives and how they ought to act. And he says, finally, I'm done talking to you all as separate groups. I've kind of made the points I need to to certain people. Finally, this is for all of you. If you are in the room and you say you believe there's a God and you say you believe that Jesus is his son and you actually believe he rose from the dead and that you have any sort of commitment commitment to him at all, then he is specifically talking to you, the Christian, the person who claims to believe the words of Jesus and wants to abide by them, you. Finally, you. And so there's no getting around it this morning, no matter your convictions or your political views, there's no matter your upbringing or your traditions or Anything you want to have or want to be or desire or aspire for, it's not about that today. Today is just about you, the Christian, hearing, processing, 
and applying this text. Peter is talking to me, and he's talking to you. And so point number two, as we break down the second part of this, is this point number two. He's calling us to live in harmony. As we just read through this text, you would see that it starts off in verse 8, where he says, I want you to be like-minded. He says, I want you to be like-minded. And your scripture, depending on the translation you have this morning, it may say something like live in harmony, or it may say something like live in unity. But I want you to notice at the top of verse 8, after he says, I'm going to talk to all of you, he makes sure, he points out, I want all of you to live in harmony, to live in unity, to be like-minded. That is the goal of the church that he is speaking to God's people, those who claim to believe, and he says, y'all need to hear me clearly because we live in a, in a culture, what Facebook has stirred up and what Facebook and social media has created is this culture, whether you are educated in the scriptures or not, you were given a voice and a platform to speak to hundreds of people at a time, some of you thousands. And you're given this platform where all of a sudden you get to shout your opinion without worrying about what anybody says back at you. And we've created this culture in the church, and it's especially harmful to Christians, where we all get to get online and post our opinions as though they are correct. And all we're doing, we think we are causing healing and growth and all these things, but let me just tell you something. I've never heard somebody take advice from somebody they didn't give it permission to advise them. We don't receive advice to somebody we didn't give permission to advise us. There's a reason I don't listen to everybody tell me how to spend my money unless I said, hey, will you be my financial advisor? Unless I've given you permission to advise me, I don't take your advice. And so what we do in the social media culture is we've decided that we can create these opinions and shout them. And oftentimes with a good heart, we think, we truly believe we are helping the world. But all we in fact are doing is causing disunity. Because we're just shouting an opinion without the biblical conversation. We are fighting with people and worrying about our response to somebody and not sitting at a table together opening the word of God saying, let's just figure it out together. Let's arrive on a conclusion together. I don't have to argue God. He's big enough to argue himself. Let's just look at the word and see what he's saying to us, his people. He says, I want you to live in harmony. And for many people in the church, because of what we see happening all over Facebook and social media, we've stopped believing it's possible. We've stopped believing that it's possible for believers to show up on a run roof with all kinds of backgrounds and different nationalities and different upbringings, that we can all come into this room together, cultural differences, and, and be in harmony and unity together. And we think it's too difficult to happen, but let me just hear you today. Just, just, just trust me on this. Like, Jesus designed it to be that way. The only people messing it up is us. It's not the person you're sitting next to that messed this thing up. It's usually us. We are generally the ones who disturb this unity that God has called his church to be in. And so he explains it to us. He says, I want you to be like-minded, which is very clear. But then he goes even further. He says, I'm going to now take time to show you how to do that. I want you to be sympathetic. I want you to love one another. I want you to be compassionate. And I want you to be humble. He explains, this is how you're going to do it. If you're going to live in harmony with one another as Christians, if you're going to continue the pursuit of the Lord together, then what I'm calling you towards, no matter what you think, is that you would be sympathetic to each other's needs. 
and each other's issues. That you would be a person full of empathy. That you would love one another well. That we're not just calling you to love God, love people, and prove it, but you prove it. That you would be full of compassion. And that you would be humble. Now I want you to think about those things that he just pointed out. To be sympathetic, to love one another, to be compassionate, and to be humble. These are ultimately inward things that only we can work on within ourselves. I, I can't fix somebody else who doesn't hold these attributes. These are inward focused. So what does that mean? Peter is saying, I want you to be like-minded, and the way you do it is to focus on your own issues. Stop focusing on everybody else's. If you would like to live in unity with those in your church, your job is, as the Christian participant, to be filled with sympathy for your brother or sister, to love them well, to be compassionate towards them, and to be humble. And I want you to think about this for a minute. What is the opposite of these attributes that he gives us? Well, the opposites of this would be simple. It's going to be judgmental, unloving, cold-hearted, and prideful. Let me tell you something. I've never met a judgmental, unloving, cold-hearted, prideful person who created unity. I just haven't. Those are the people who constantly have somebody frustrated with them. Those are the people who are always in the middle of some sort of dilemma. Those are the people who can't seem to understand why so-and-so just doesn't like them. Those are the people who go to jobs, and rather than having employees and, and, and coworkers who want to participate in their projects, they're the ones who can't seem to get any help anywhere. And they look around going, what's the deal? And Peter's just saying, hey, we are so prone to living differently. I'm that way. I have a tendency to fight back and to push the envelope. And to really get down to why we're doing the why. This weekend, my wife asked me to go bag some cookies. I said, why? She said, why don't you love me? Can't you just go? No, she didn't say it that way. She was much sweeter. She's perfect. But she goes, but why, why do you always got to push back? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just why you want to bag the cookies. I'm selling the garage sale. Well, I want to bag some cookies. And what I realized in that moment is harmony begins in me, not in her. Harmony in the church does not begin in what you start telling somebody around you to do. It actually begins in what you do. I mean, think about Jesus for a minute. I didn't even plan to talk about this, but let's just think about Jesus for a minute. How is it that he came to, if anybody's gonna be offended by people, it's God, right? If anybody gets the authority to be offended by people, it would be God. This, this, this perfect creator who made something to be one way and then we rebel. And then for thousands of years in the Old Testament, he keeps saying, all right, we're gonna make this thing right. Here, just do this and you and me can still be good. And then we rebel. And he says, okay, okay, okay. Well, well now, okay, here's 10 more commandments. Just, just keep up with these and you and I are still gonna be good. I don't wanna, I don't wanna see you gone. We're gonna be okay. We're gonna make this thing. Just, just keep up with this and then we rebel. And we continue in our rebellion over and over and over. So God will show up, perform miracles that are just out of your mind, seeing things that are unbelievable. You know he's real. He says, okay, go live this way. Go love one another. And then we rebel. If anyone has the right to be offended at humanity, it would be Jesus. And yet he steps into the earth, and who does he surround himself with? 
a bunch of messed up, sinful people who didn't get it right. How is it that the author of humanity, the only perfect one to walk the earth, lives in unity with the ones who rebel against him constantly? It's not because his disciples were any good, just to give you a hint. It's not because the people he ran around with were any good. It's because Jesus was good. There's a moment in the scriptures where Jesus is coming off of this long boat ride and he's exhausted into this town. He's ready just to rest. And in fact, he says, I want to go away and pray. But as he's walking, he sees this massive crowd who are in need of him. And it says that he had compassion towards him. Some translations say that, that his heart went out to them. And so he began to heal the sick. That Jesus saw people and the way he responded to them was as somebody who was full of sympathy and love for the other, and compassion, and humility. And when he walked into a room for those who believed, there was unity where he was. Point number three. Peter's calling us to be a blessing. Let's read the text again in eight and nine. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, listen to this, underline this, circle this, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So a moment ago, Peter's talking about this inward change that has to happen for the Christian, this inward focus that I am to be someone full of these attributes. But then he takes it a step further. He says, once you've established this inward, as you're working on changing who you are and the way you perceive people around you through the power of the Spirit of God, as, as the way you see the world around you starts to change, he goes, I actually want you to do something next. It's time for you to put action to what's happening inside of you, this outward expression of faith. He says, I want you you to begin to repay evil with blessing. Now, this is particularly hard for people to do. This is very different than what our natural response might be. A moment ago, we were just talking about something inward. I can spend the next 60 years of my life, if God gives it to me, working on my inner self I can, I can focus on that. I can really focus on how I feel and the way I see people and just work on me, on the, the inward self of who I am and just praying through that. But I don't have much time to love my enemy. Usually that comes in moments. And he's saying, I want you to do something with this. I want you to have an outward expression of this. I want God's people to be defined differently than everything else you see. And in fact, Jesus and the scriptures have a lot of this. I'm just going to read these. These are not on the screen, but I just want to read these to you. Luke 6, 27, but I say to you, <clears throat> but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 14, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, Romans 12, 20. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you, Luke 6, 27, 28. Proverbs 24, 17, do not rejoice when your enemy fails, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. 
Proverbs 16, 17, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And then Jesus, this is the crazy one, Jesus, king of the world, while hanging on the cross, the very people who hung him there, the very people who put him, nails through the wrist and his feet, the one who just beat him half to death is hanging there, looks down on somebody, and how does he feel? He looks down on him and he says, Father in heaven, would you forgive them? They don't even know what they're doing. Forgive the ones who hung me here, they don't know. And then if you think only Jesus could do it, that's not the case. Stephen, in the New Testament, the very first person to be killed for having faith and preaching the message of the gospel. He is being stoned to death. He is literally dragged out of the city to be killed and be put to death. And he looks around him, he says, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said it, he breathed his last breath. We, as a people of God, are called to be a blessing to everyone, including our enemy, including the one who might aspire to take your life, according to the scriptures. I think the gospel is clear. Our role on the planet is to bless people, period. To be a blessing to them. I want you, there's a clip. How many of you guys, like, like the movie Les Mis. Y'all ever seen that? Any, any fans in the house who like that sort of thing? Uh, I'm going to show you a clip from this really quick. I just thought this was cool. I noticed this this week when I was studying this. Those of you who are a big fan of this movie, you'll like this. Y'all check this clip out. Isn't that kind of cool? This random moment in this movie. How many of you guys, by a raise of hands, have seen that movie before? You ever seen it? I think it was first to play, and they made it into a film. Uh, I think that's a cool little moment. I wanted to show that to you this morning because oftentimes we think it's totally impractical and impossible to bless somebody who's wronged you. That for you and me in the moment, we think it's totally impossible to help somebody who has sinned against you. But I want to hear you, just, just roll with me on this. Not only is it not impossible, it's a way of life that the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to live. That we are called by God to bless those who have wronged us, to take care of them. And so today, before we get out of here, we're going to take just a few moments. I want to give you three first steps that you can take to begin overcoming evil with good. And just to make sure everybody is awake this morning. If you can, hit me clap once. Hit me clap twice. Yeah. Got it good. So number one is this. I want you to pray for your enemies. If we're going to abide by what 1 Peter is telling us, we must begin to pray for our enemies. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. What does that mean for you and me? That means we are not bound to responding to things as we are typically expected to, that we do not have to respond and fight the world around us the way everybody else seems to be doing. That when somebody harms you or wrongs you, that you get to respond differently. And so we are going to begin by praying for and praying over our enemies. That means you need to take time to identify who do you consider your enemy. That there's an actual work that goes into doing this and living this way to consider who is it that you disagree with? Who is it that you have trouble talking to? Who is it that does things that infuriate you? Who is it that you would consider an enemy? That you would begin to pray for them. That means when you see an article about ISIS that you don't get to just be angry and post it all over Facebook. 
but your job is to pause and to begin to pray for them that God would begin to bring about a revival that we would see something change in their hearts. That means when your boss belittles you again at work, your job is not to get so angry that you fire back. Your job is to pause and pray for your boss. That means when somebody lies against you, your job is not to get so defensive that you make a fool of yourself. Your job is to pray for that person. That means when somebody robs your home, your, your job is not to be filled with so much anger against that person. Instead, it's to pray for them. That means when your wife wants to have a garage sale on a weekend where it's really hot, and you don't want to have a garage sale, you don't get angry and cause fights. You try not to get angry and cause fights. You pray for them. Lord, I pray for my wife. Bless her. You see, prayer does this natural thing where it aligns our hearts with God. That while I do have a Father in heaven who answers the prayers of his people, I also have a difficult time praying for things that I know God wouldn't stand for. That's why it's really hard to pray against people <laughs> because you're really not gonna talk to the Father in heaven and tell him to do things you know he would never do. You see, praying for your enemy changes you as well as much as it doesn't stir the heart of God. It changes you, that your heart and your outlook on others begins to align with his. Number two way that you can take some first steps to begin overcoming evil with good, would you take a moment and serve your enemies. This is that outward expression. This is no longer the inward transition that I'm not just going to have compassion, that I'm not just going to be filled with love for them, that I'm not just going to have it in me, but I'm actually going to outwardly do something about it. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus in heaven, God of the universe, can step on this earth and serve and wash the feet of the rebels who have hated him, who have cursed him, who have rejected his name. If he can bend down to wash somebody's feet, I can take care of somebody who robbed my home. I can serve somebody who offended me. I can give a gift to somebody who's hurt me. I can serve them. Some of you may need help getting creative. You may want to join a hope group and figure out ways you can begin to serve people. And number three, some of us in the room, we just got to get better at loving people. And that's just the most plain way I can put it. First Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. For some of us in the room, the very first step to taking care of our enemy and showing them the love of Jesus is just plain and simple, getting better at loving other people. And, and that means you take steps. That means you take to action. That means you begin to do things that change your lifestyle to make sure you bless somebody around you. We just need to get better. We say the mission of this church is to love God to love people and proving it. I am all about loving God. I am all about loving people. Sometimes I'm not about proving it. And I'm gonna tell you what, if you wanna prove that you love God and you love people, start with the people who creep you out. You wanna prove to Heavenly Father that you really love people, start with the ones you're uncomfortable around. Start loving 
your enemies and start loving each other in this church, I promise you when you see this change happen in you, it is much simpler to see unity happen amongst God's people. Why? Because I'm not pointing the finger telling you to change. I'm simply trusting that God is changing me, and as God is changing me, I get to be a conduit of his grace and his mercy to everybody I encounter that I get to be a picture and a display of what he has done for me, which is forgiven my sin. When I rebelled against him, he gets to forgive me. Therefore, I get to forgive them. We need, we must, we have got to, in this country especially, we have got to figure out how to be a church who takes care of and loves people, including the ones who creep you out. Would we be someone who is full of compassion, Would I be somebody who's full of sympathy? Would I be full of love? And would that love lead me to action? Let's pray together, and then we will stand up and worship. Father, we need your help to do this, God. This is not something that I can walk out of here today and do simply, God. This is not something that I can step out of the room and without your help, God, I can't just walk out the front door and start loving my enemy. I can't walk out the front door and start making change and giving grace and forgiving people at random, God. I can't do that in my own strength, but you promised for your people that you would fill them with your spirit and that, God, it is you who does all the effort of changing us. And so, God, I pray and I ask this morning that for every individual in this room that they would remember that this morning's message is not for the person on their left or the right or the one who couldn't make it this morning. This message is for them. God, this message is for me. That, God, I would change, that you would stir up in me a love for other people that I can't even put into words. And, Father, that as you change us and as you work on us, that we will begin to see unity happen again all across your church and all across the earth. That we will see a people who care and a people who love and a people who prove that with their life. And so, God, as we get ready to walk out and as we get ready to worship today, show us by your spirit one step we can take this week. That, God, that we would not take in your word, let it go one ear and out the other, but that we could actually begin to put to practice what you say. Help us with that. Father, we bless your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening to the Hope Fellowship Church podcast. If you're interested in becoming more connected at Hope Fellowship Church, please visit hope615.com slash connected.